brothers and sisters, we know that all things work for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. St. Paul tells us that in today's second reading from Romans chapter 8. But how can this be true? Realistically, how is this possible given all the evil that's present in the world? How, for example, can experiencing hatred work for a person's good? In other words, how can anything good come out of something as evil as hatred? How can experiencing envy work for someone's good? How can being lied about, or being imprisoned, or being a slave, or being torn away from your father, or almost being murdered by people in your own family. How can any of these things work for a person's good? Even if that person loves Almighty God with all his heart and all his soul and all his mind and all his strength. But the answer to those questions, my brothers and sisters, we need to go to Joseph. No, not Joseph the foster father of Jesus, but rather Joseph the patriarch, one of the twelve sons of Jacob, whose story is told to us in the Old Testament book of Genesis. I say we need to go to Joseph because he experienced every single one of those evils I just mentioned. Hatred, envy, slavery, prison, etc. Most of us, I'm sure, know the basic outline of his story but for the benefit of those who might not. Joseph was the eleventh of Jacob's twelve sons. He was the child of his father's old age, as the Bible puts it. But even though he was number eleven on the list of Jacob's sons, he was number one in his father's heart. And Jacob made that clear to everybody, especially when he gave Joseph a special tunic to wear. Some of you may remember the musical that Andrew Lloyd Webber composed based on that event, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Some of you probably saw that musical. Anyway, Joseph's older brothers envied him and hated him for the relationship he had with his dad, so much so that they actually hatched a plot to kill their brother, throw him into a cistern, and then lie and tell his father that he had been eaten by wild beasts. Thankfully, they thought better of all that, and they decided instead to sell Joseph into slavery to some Ishmaelites who happened to be passing by one day on their way down to Egypt. There, Joseph became a slave. He became a slave to Pharaoh's chief steward, a man named Potiphar, whose wife thought that Joseph was kind of cute. So she tried to seduce him several times. See what interesting stories you can find in the Bible. <laughs> Yet another reason to read the sacred scriptures. Anyhow, when she failed to have her way with Joseph, Potiphar's wife falsely accused him of sexually assaulting her and had him thrown into jail, where he remained until the day when he was called to interpret a dream 
for Pharaoh, a dream that was troubling the leader of Egypt. The dream, according to Joseph, predicted seven years of bountiful harvest, which would be followed by seven years of famine. Pharaoh accepted the interpretation. He believed Joseph, and he proceeded to make Joseph the number two man in Egypt, next to himself. And he put Joseph in charge of stockpiling food for the next seven years so that there would be enough food to last for the seven lean years. And Joseph did it. He did it so well, in fact, that people from outside of Egypt came into Egypt to get food for those seven lean years because the famine wasn't just affecting Egypt, it was affecting the whole known world. Well, guess who showed up one day looking to buy some grain? None other than Joseph's ten older brothers. They didn't recognize him, but he recognized them it was the perfect chance for what they call some payback. It was the perfect opportunity for Joseph to finally get his revenge for all those things I mentioned earlier. Hatred, envy, their attempted murder of him, the slavery he had experienced, the prison, the lying, the separation from his father, whom he loved so deeply and who so deeply loved him. But that's not what Joseph did. Yes, he did put his brothers to the test a couple of times, but in the end, he forgave them and he revealed his identity to them. And when he did reveal his identity, he said something very important. He said something that makes it clear that he believed this truth that St. Paul expressed so beautifully in Romans 8.28, that all things work together for good for those who love God. Listen to these words from Genesis 45. Come closer to me, Joseph told his brothers. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for having sold me here. It was really for the sake of saving lives that God sent me here ahead of you. The famine has been in the land for two years now, and for five more years cultivation will yield no harvest. God, therefore, sent me on ahead of you to ensure for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives in an extraordinary deliverance. So it was not really you, but God who had me come here. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh, lord of all his household, and ruler over the whole land of Egypt. It was really for the sake of saving lives that God sent me here ahead of you. Joseph could see beyond the evil. He could see beyond all the evil that he experienced to the good that God had brought out of that evil. Now please don't misunderstand me here. Joseph was not happy about the evil. He wasn't thrilled about having not seen his dad in a whole bunch of years. He wasn't thrilled that he had been a prisoner and a slave, but he was able to see how even those injustices, sufferings, trials, he was able to see how they all worked together for his good, and not only for his good, but also for the good of his brothers and a lot of other people, both inside and outside of Egypt. We know that all things work for good 
for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Notice, it does not say there that everything that happens to God-loving people is good. It doesn't say that, because it's not true. Joseph and many others have shown us that sometimes really bad things happen to very godly people. But by God's grace, even those bad things can work for a godly person's ultimate benefit and for the ultimate benefit of many others. Now this even applies, believe it or not, to our sins. It applies to our sins if, if we repent of them, confess them, and turn away from them. St. Paul has shown us that. After his conversion, St. Paul used his sins for good. He used them for good by talking about them when he was trying to encourage other people to seek God's mercy, especially those who probably thought that they were beyond the reach of God's forgiveness. There are a lot of people like that. There always have been. They think they've done things too bad for God to forgive them. Listen to what he says, St. Paul, in 1 Timothy chapter 1. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me, that he has made me his servant and judged me faithful. I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, a man filled with arrogance. But because I did not know what I was doing in my unbelief, I have been treated mercifully. And the grace of our Lord has been granted me in overflowing measure, along with the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. You can depend on this as worthy of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of these, I myself am the worst. But on that very account, I was dealt with mercifully, so that in me, as an extreme case, Jesus Christ might display all his patience, and that I might be an example to those who would later have faith in him. That I might be an example. That was St. Paul's way of saying, look, if God can forgive me for all that junk that I was involved in, all those sins that I committed in my past life, he can forgive me for that stuff, he can forgive anybody, including you. For those who love God, all things work for good. This is a truth, my brothers and sisters, that many of us do not reflect on often enough. So I invite you to do that sometime during this coming week. When you have 15 or 20 minutes of time, and we all do, if we want time, we'll make the time. Make some time. Sit down in a quiet place. Maybe come here into church or find a quiet room in your house. And reflect on the significant events of your life. The good ones, the bad ones, even the painful ones. And ask the Lord to help you to see how all these experiences have worked for your good and for the good of those with whom you share your life. And when God does help you to see those good things, those gifts, those blessings, please do remember to thank Him.